This is a Business's Mission podcast. Business's Mission. I'm Gaya Boyd, your host. So I began to see it as this dynamic activity that was unfolding all the time. And I had an option to become a player in this activity if I would learn how does it work. Welcome to our podcast series where we explore kingdom keys for business life and work. I'll do that together with Bill Chop. Bill lived 30 years in China, where he witnessed God's presence tangibly in the business. You will hear some captivating stories. Bill discovered Kingdom Keys, but both of us are eager to learn more. So we will invite guests from around the world, men and women who are also hungry to experience God move in the workspace. What are their stories? How do they see God move? God is at work in the marketplace and we believe God desires to partner with us way more than we ever thought possible. Do you share this belief, this desire? If so, visit bearmoves.com for a course on kingdom mindsets for business, life and work. May these conversations inspire you to connect deeper with God in your business, in your daily working life. Thank you for joining us today in this podcast. In this episode of Kingdom Keys for Business, I talk with Bill. Bill believes, and it's his experience, that a business can be a wonderful place to discover God and implement faith. It might be a new concept to some of you listening. Bill discovered it step by step himself. He felt it truly was a journey. And it's not a journey of all going well. He feels it's a wonderful opportunity to build up some muscle. Bill, welcome. Um, it's good to have you again here in this t- studio. Thank you, Kea. It's great to be with you and look forward to this interesting topic. Yes, because we're going to talk about building muscle, as I mentioned in my intro, because here you are in a strange culture, a market which is not the stable Dutch market. I know of some businesses who have been in the family for years and years and years, stably growing. You know, it's not that you started a business and it went all smooth and it grew and it was kind of paradise ever since. The Kind of the opposite. Um, what kind of business you, you started small? When we got started, Gail, we knew that we didn't know anything about importing and exporting and hiring and running a business. So we decided let's stay really small and just make our mistakes and learn from them. And at that time, uh, my wife and two daughters and I could live for $3,000 a year very well because there really wasn't anything to buy. Then. So it was not much to buy. <laughs> yeah, not so much today. And so we started a small company uh, based on an interest of my partner in the States who had a $10,000 investment that he was willing to make in the company. And we decided to follow his hobby and make hand-tied fishing flies. Mm-hmm. So this was a small company Small company, five, eventually 10 people. So that was all manageable. It it was manageable, but we still didn't know how to import stuff, export stuff, didn't how to manage rent facilities. All of those things were new mini adventures for us. But it was good that we were doing it at a small size. So we're talking here about building muscle in the midst of 
adversities, uh, storms. What was the first storm you remember hitting you? Well, the first storm was probably when there was the Tiananmen event. And um, I remember that we actually were renting facility on a military base. And so we became subject of suspicion. How long were you in the country by that time? About a year mm -hmm. and a half. Mm -hmm. Tell us more. What's happened? Well, our only response was, Lord, help. <laughs> we, we don't know how to be wise in this situation, so we just depended on you. So tell us a bit more. There might be some younger listeners. What happened during that period? Well, we survived that particular several-month period. I got a call from the government ordering me out of the country. Because the, what, what happened? The unrest in Tiananmen Square. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know if Americans were going to become subject of some kind of persecution. And so they ordered me out. I ended up getting my wife and two kids out the next day because that had already been scheduled. But I chose to stay because I was afraid I might not get back in if I left. And with this small little business started, I didn't want to abandon it. But during that time, were there times that you were like, I wonder if God is with me here? That's a great question. I want to try to be really honest. I certainly wondered if I was doing something crazy, uh, something really foolish. Um, but that would be the way I would phrase the question rather than if he had you know, abandoned me or if he wasn't involved. I think it was more likely that I was instituting things that he wasn't really starting, but he, he hadn't abandoned me in the process, which was really encouraging. The first real hurdle was when my first partner in the States got sick with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and he passed away about a year and a half into the project, just before Christmas. And that was your business partner? That was our business partner, and it meant the business died because I had no access to the market. I, I was stuck in China, and so we just didn't know what we we're going to do. Didn't it sh shake your faith? I'm not... I don't think it shook my faith because I'm not sure how much I had at the time. <laughs> I think I was almost desperately grasping that this would work because I had a strong sense of a sign to be there, but I didn't have any details about what to do. It seemed as though we had a green light to go forward, but at that point, I didn't have the kind of confidence that I eventually developed. So it comes across to me that you kind of experienced that these things might happen, a provision of the Lord, and then suddenly it totally changes. That's right. And it just removed all of a sudden. And so we didn't know how to process that initially, but we just weathered it. We The only thing we say that we did correctly was we didn't quit. All other decisions are pretty debatable, especially in that first five or 10 years. And so I held on. I just, I didn't leave because I knew, I felt that was to be my assignment. And then we got another chance to pull together a company that uh, became what would be known as a studio, a stained glass studio. We had about 20 employees and we were making pretty significant one-of-a-kind projects, like 12-meter-long murals of a particular city for a government building and uh, we were gaining skills, and then that converted into a lampshade production facility. We grew from 20 to 150 or 60 people in six weeks. 
that's pretty fast. That was extremely fast. We had a consultant said it would be impossible to do it well and that we would certainly fail. And uh, I went back to the Lord and I said, Lord, this guy doesn't think you're very good <laughs> and that your ideas are very good. He doesn't think it's possible to succeed. And the Lord just confirmed for me, no, it's what I want you to do. There were actual other reasons that the Lord wanted us to do that. And he sustained us and we, we had a great expansion period. Um, two years after making lampshades, then we hit another burden or another problem, big hurdle. The single customer I had had a girlfriend and she wanted to be the factory manager of another factory. And so he decided he better start his own factory, take all of his business and recruit all of my workers in, in one weekend and then get set up so she would be happy. Did that happen? Were all your workers gone? I... Didn't know about it at the time, but it was a meeting that he had when I was out of town in Hong Kong. And uh, his logic was really reasonable. He said to the workers, Bill's single customer, him, is leaving. So my company would go out of business because we don't have any other customers. And he wanted to hire every one of them that week. And if they agreed to come that week, he would give them a job. But if they waited, he would not hire them later. So it was a very good sales pitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened and is... here were how many workers, did you say? About 150. Mm-hmm. So he could have definitely hijacked my entire company that, that weekend. But they began talking among themselves. And one girl who had just become a believer, when she was asked, said, no, I'm not going to leave because God is in this company and I'll never leave it. And uh, so she swayed all but maybe three or four people who did leave and start that other company, but as a very small thing. And so I didn't even know this was happening as I came back and I realized that uh, this little eight-year-old girl, 18-year-old girl had basically saved my business all by herself. Well, saved your business. Your, your client was gone. Right. And so now we have another hurdle. And so I was asking the Lord, what do you want to do? How do we survive this? And he highlighted a book in my library called Innovation and Entrepreneurship by Peter Drucker. I read the book and the outtake was the best innovations are taking two things that the market knows, but they've not seen it together. So we had become very good with stained glass. And I knew my mom collected this little line of miniature houses, but I don't think anybody had seen a line of stained glass miniature houses. And so we developed a line of that and opened up the market and the Lord for lack of a better word, supernaturally gave us a relationship with someone who invested hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop this new product line that we were developing, that we were building. And in six weeks, I think he sold out a year's worth of our capacity to stay up with it. And so for the next eight years, we became the leader in the world at collectible stained glass villages, I think you could say. I mean, here we are in your journey, maybe the How many years have you now been in China? That would have been maybe 12 by the time that business evaporated. But listening to you, it's like these waves. Okay, you ride this wave, the, you know, things are going well, and then another storm hits. And is that what you expect when you walk with God, that it's not a smooth ride? I think it's wise to expect it's not a smooth ride for two main reasons. One is the world is broken and I'm broken and other people are broken too. We're in that process of being restored, rebuilt, 
being made new, but it's not without its brokenness. And so people will let you down. We had an, a manager who we trusted with everything, and he betrayed us and left and took a lot of technology. And then we ended up needing to practice that praying for God to bless our enemies. So we put him in the category of an enemy and we blessed him and asked God to do good to him. And um, some period of time later, he comes back to my door. He's somewhat in tears and he, he says, boss, I have to just ask you to forgive me for my betrayal of, of the company and of you. And so, of course, you do, and then your, your relationship goes up a notch better than it was before. So this kind of thing is happening. But if you hang on to it and become bitter, you're in a real problem. So then is when the storm might get in the boat, and the boat might not be so stable. Some people even sometimes embrace suffering because God is teaching you things through it. Is that what you view also? I don't embrace suffering, but I embrace the challenge, I think, with him. So my uh, take on this is it really depends on if I handle this alone or if I handle it with him. If he guides me through a difficult situation, that's when the muscles get built. The spiritual resilience comes into play. And you realize you, you're not alone. And you will get through this one way or another. And the best thing to do is to hang on to him as he delivers you. But if you end up uh, taking it personally, um, becoming bitter, angry, unforgiving, those kinds of things, then you probably aren't going to survive very long. You will get taken out mm. one way or another. Is it also, Bill, you know, hearing you, we've done several podcasts. We're working on the online learning environment. Moves.com, if you get curious in these conversations, trigger your interest. Isn't this also part of your personality that you enjoy risk? Maybe some people are like, well, let's keep a little bit stable and we need those people too, right? In the business realm, we talk about the entrepreneurs is the label usually given to this group of people. What we often mean are the ones that take risk. They're not bothered by risk. And so you are one of those? Apparently, I am. Yeah, <laughs> I had never thought of that before, but um, I, I built a little ultralight and flew it after I built it. So I'm thinking I'm apparently okay with some level of risk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you quickly say that my, you know, I'm not that familiar here in the Netherlands with uh, airplanes. That was a risky and Dave, yeah, I assume? Uh, yes, I think it, uh, it had a certain amount of risk. But it, to me, it was an adventure, which I pursued. I built the thing over four years, and I flew it a number mm -hmm. of times. And, and uh, I realized not everybody would do that. So in the business realm, the operators are really more important than the risk takers. And so what I've learned to do is to appreciate my role. I'm okay with accepting the risk to start something, but I'm actually not very good at operating it. So I need to find partners right away who are good at that part of it. Otherwise, the uh, business that we start will probably flounder. So did you find these um, people around you who could... You know, you kind of paving the way, seeing opportunities, but then people next to you who can actually have the stability and, and run the thing. 
I did find them. Uh, one of the first was a, was a great guy that came in from the States, and he ended up uh, studying what was really happening in the business, which I didn't have a lot of value on. I thought, you know, you need to be out there with your hands on the tools and the workers and that kind of thing for management purposes. But he explained to me what was actually happening in the business. And because of that, we finally made some good decisions that made us much more profitable and survivable than we would have been on my own. And and one production line we introduced, we tried for months to find a good production manager, but I had a particular desire that we operate it with a certain kind of simplicity and that we really make all of the processes very transparent. And uh, five production managers end up getting rejected because they wouldn't do that for me. And finally, the same little girl that saved the business many years earlier as an 18-year-old um, decided that she could help me get the thing up and going because we had all the equipment built and trained. People were trained. They were just looking for a leader. So she said, let me just be a supervisor and we'll get this thing going. And so she ran that department for us as essentially like an independent company for years. And at the end of that, uh, our customer declared that we really were the best that he had ever seen produce that product. And it was run by a girl with a fifth grade education. Yeah, because one of the themes, and also in the material we developed, is that you uh, were more seeking or seeing that people who are not the influential ones and not often the ones who know a lot, but that it's a hard attitude that made the culture in the factories yeah, so much better. Is that what I understand from you? I think it made it more kingdom-friendly, kingdom-like. There's that passage in Scripture that says, well, not many of us were the smart ones and the well-connected ones and the educated ones. So this is a tendency within the kingdom for the Lord to pick those who wouldn't really shine on their own the way they were able to shine in partnership with Him in the kingdom. And so I began to recognize that kind of people. And as I looked for them and found them, promoted them and gave them authority, we really felt like the experience of the kingdom became much more authentic than if we used sort of only best practices and only hired people with the right education for it. Because, you know, any company could do that. And there's no real kingdom factor that's uniquely kingdom-oriented. Now, I'm fine with best practices, but not alone. I think then you have to add, Lord, what else are you up to? Who is it that you want to cause to shine in your kingdom? Because the rest of that passage in Corinthians says, he's going to do things so that he gets the glory for this. And that doesn't show up when we hire just smart, educated people experienced for their job. I'm also kind of listening with my, you know, we are here in a Dutch Western mindset. A lot of the businesses here, they need educated people. They need the professionals to keep it running and to, you know, with all the, the complicated um, factories and developments. And is it easier to see God move in a context like China 30 years ago, where life seemed to be simple in a way? I think that there is a factor of that, Kea, so that that 
China experience would be very different than today's China experience. But I do think in any country and any season, there will be those uneducated and educated who all love the Lord. And if you just take a deep breath and uh, are stewarding a company for the Lord, just let him know that he has your invitation to staff it with the people that he wants to staff it with. Then keep your eyes open and there may be some prizes. Mm-hmm. I I think of a story I heard from a, a young entrepreneur who actually did that and did hire someone. And he said it wasn't that it was for the business financially such a mm-hmm. su- success, but he did see this person who was there, I think one or two years. He said, I did see him grow in in his personal life, in his also his relationship with God. Um, is that how you would advise our listeners? Well, that's a dangerous question. <laughs> so I would advise listeners who are in the realm of business, particularly those who own businesses, to just ask the Lord to train you how to see clearly who you are in the bigger game that if you're stewarding a company for him, how does that work? And what are the decisions that he wants to make and will guide you through? And how can you release things so that he becomes the, the real authority in it? I would ask the Lord to show me how to understand his constant presence in the company. This was one of the things that I got wrong initially because of the stories of the talents and the minas. In those stories, the master gives some resources to a servant and a command, do business till I return, and then he leaves. And I felt like, oh, that's what it's like. So I'm over here in China. He's given me some resources, but he's gone, and he's going to get a new kingdom and come back eventually, and then we'll look at the books. But I realized that if you add the reality of John 17, the latter verses of that, to the story. And those verses are? Um. The glory that you've seen me with my father, that glory that we have, I'm giving to you. My understanding is that glory involves their relational dynamic, that element that says, I never said anything my dad didn't tell me to say, and I never did anything he didn't tell me to do, and everything I did, we did together. That identity, that glory I'm giving to you guys, it'll be me in you. And you and me, the same way you've seen me demonstrate that in my father. And so now we'll never be alone. So we go to work and the owner of the company goes to work with us. So it's not that the master gives some resources and a command to, to do business until I return. Now he gives resources to me and a command, let's do this together and I'm not going anywhere. And so you constantly have his accessibility so he's the owner of the company and he's present with you every day. So it makes it really easy to ask him questions and engage him and bring him in. He's not gone. He's not someplace far off. Yeah, so it might look different in every context, in every situation. But some of these principles, you say they are principles that might be not the What is the right word? How would you say Yes, I think 
the right way to think about it, or the most helpful way to think about it is, it's an actual relationship that operates according to normal relationship rules. I got sort of rebuked on this a few times. Like one time we had this board meeting in London for two days, all day Thursday, all day Friday. Everybody in the room was a believer, and we would all agree that, oh, the company is the Lord's and we're just stewards. We weren't acting that way, but we were saying it. And then on Saturday morning at three o'clock, the Lord, the Lord wakes me up and he goes, good meeting you guys have been having. <laughs> Wish I'd been invited. And I realized there it is again. We just aren't treating it like it's an actual relationship. Or we would certainly have invited him into the meetings. They're dealing with companies that he owns and we're stewarding for him. And so on another occasion, you know, that saying that we have in the U.S. that Christianity is a relationship, it's not a religion, we say it a little bit arrogantly. So one day the Lord reminded me of that, and he said, hey, Bill, what if this is really true? What if it really is a relationship and not a religion? And I go, Lord, what are you getting at? You know it's true, and you know I know the answer to your question. And then he said, well, I just want to tell you, you are not acting like it. What do you mean? He says, you're not acting like it's a relationship. And I go, oh, Lord, help me understand what you're talking about. And so he said, what did you say to everyone you saw first thing Saturday morning? It was like a little retreat thing. And I thought for a second, and I go, I think the first thing I said to them was good morning. And then he said, when was the last time you told me good morning? And he added this phrase, as though I was a real person. And so I think the most fundamental concept to all of this is that we actually relate to him as an authentic relationship. And we do with him what we would do with anybody else. Primarily, we would listen. I would argue that if you could see him today with you, you would all know what to do. It would not be difficult. It's just that his invisibleness <laughs> creates a problem for us. So we have to use our imagination. But if you imagine he's with you, you'll probably know what would be the natural thing to do. But listening to you and how you have this conversation, I think most of us, let me talk for myself, I'm already happy that I hear some direction. So did you put a lot of, I assume you put a lot of uh, time and in building this relationship? There was a season early on, like my third year as a believer, when he asked me to spend time with him in the evening. And the only guideline was that if I spoke to him for five minutes, I agreed to listen for five minutes. <laughs> it's basic one-on-one relationship stuff. So he's, he's never asked me to do anything that wasn't normal with any other relationship. But in doing that, I developed probably several hundred hours of listening to him. Mm -hmm. I think that may have been something that isn't normal, but if, it, if you put it together with any other relationship, any other person, let's say that you got a chance to have a relationship with your favorite author, favorite movie star, favorite athlete, and they agreed to have a hundred hours with you, how much of that time would you be listening to them? Probably a lot, mm -hmm. because they're like a hero to you. And so that's all we really need to do with him, I believe, to begin getting a great foundation relationally with the most fascinating person in the world. 
and who can in a fascinating way show up yeah. in the business. Yeah. Bill, this has been, again, a very stimulating conversation and we will have more. Thank you for being here and inspiring us. Oh, thank you, Gaia, for hosting me and I'm absolutely having a joyful time and look forward to the next session. Thank you. This was Gea Gord from the Netherlands. Remember to visit benmoves.com and check out the course on Kingdom Mindsets for business, life and work. In two weeks' time, we will be back with another episode. Follow us in your favorite podcast app so you won't miss the next one.